0: Hi, I'm Mac.
1: Hi, I'm Abigail.
0: And this is Unsubs. This is the podcast where we recap, rate, and review all 324 episodes of Criminal Minds. Today, we will be covering A Perfect Storm, uh, which I really enjoyed, and I remembered this one. Like, this one always sticks in my head. Mm -hmm. And this is season two, episode three. Crazy that we're here. (laughs) And just so you, the listener, have an idea, like, what our production is like, right now, I just finished editing episode 22, which was Fisher King part one so like that's how close the turnaround is but we're also still on break we go back on monday so it's like a month worse oh my of god episodes.
1: that's this monday that's this monday we're coming oh back. i'm so excited
0: i was listening to uh what fresh hell before we got on we're funny why do we take an episode about a pedophile and then you also are like these children sexually harassed me <laughs> oh god so let's see i guess we'll know by now how how y'all felt about it but (laughs) i hope i
1: hope people don't think we're in too poor of taste (laughs) um
0: also uh, abby and i are gonna switch off hosting because
1: i'm done with school yeah abby abby is a graduated person at this point i i literally have my graduation over zoom on thursday
0: Yay! That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's helpful to me. And also, Abby's like really good at this guy. So, uh-huh.
1: don't, don't, don't sell, don't, don't, don't raise the expectations too high for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: the, the, well, I guess, I guess we'll just see. But, anyways, so I'm going to let Abby take the wheel um, and start the host in this business that is hosting, and I'll host next episode. Perfect.
1: Should, should we share our rating criteria and disclaimer? Oh, yes. Yeah. So should I do that? I'll do the disclaimer, okay. and then you can do the rating criteria. Gotcha. We are not in any way associated with the television show Criminal Minds. We're just fans, but we would sure love to be associated. <laughs> Goobs, come on the show. Mandy, come on the show.
0: <laughs> you actually... Put in that part when we originally talking about a disclaimer, you were the one who said, But we sure would like to be. <laughs> that was you. I'm a trend Sutter. <laughs> you are. Um, yeah. And our rating criteria, uh, whoosh, I don't even know how I'm going to begin this. I got to get into this rhythm. Uh, episode can score a total of 100 points. We rate on five different categories, and each category can get a total of 20 points. The categories are the criminal slash serial killer, character development slash character arcs, forensic slash context. Of course, there literally four cars have gone by in the time that I've been reading this, so I'm going to hope you couldn't hear any of them and continue <laughs> script writing. You guys know what the
1: criteria are I know, but this <laughs> one everyone knows, but
0: if you're in this deep um and background characters <laughs> oh fun facts fun facts do you, do you want me to go first sure, okay, uh my my fun fact is that um, now that we're all vaccinated, we went out to celebrate celebrate my um, mother and father-in-law's uh, anniversary. And my mother-in-law told me that she's been there in like season eight right now.
1: Holy shit.
0: Yeah. So they're way ahead, but she listens. Shout out. Um, And she said that she's been keeping track of every time Hotch smiles in an episode for me. Oh, my God. (laughs) So (laughs) that's really awesome. Like I said before, they're boomers, but they're so cool.
1: My fun fact is, as, as our dedicated listeners know, I record in my childhood bedroom closet because... We're, we live in luxury here, but also because my microphone is so, it just, you know, the sound isn't great. Uh, I don't want to pick up the, you know, noise of my dogs honking, barking. Um, but so I'm in my childhood closet and earlier this week I was rifling through this closet because I was trying to find a bag of some stuff and I couldn't find it. But what I did find is a bag full of old knitting that I used to do, because, you know, I was homeschooled, so I would knit a lot, because, of course. And I went through a phase where I would knit all these, like, bunnies, like little stuffed animal bunnies, and... Like, so I just have like six different bunnies in my lap right now because I like, you know, found the pattern when I was a kid and was like, "Wait, I can amend this and make them bigger or smaller, and I'll make them really cute. So I have all these wonky ass looking bunnies in front of me, and i'll 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 t- send a photo of them to Mac, and then maybe we can put them on the Instagram or something as like you know, a no episode, no context spoiler um, <laughs> but it's it's very humbling but they are kind of cute <laughs> like um one of them has a little apron on that i made um oh so my you God. can tell that i was uh you know living my best life when i was in like middle school when i made these you were so cool <laughs> i was so cool so cool <laughs> Anyways, should we get into this troubling episode? (laughs) Yeah, take it away. (laughs) All right. So, the perfect storm. The episode opens and we are in Jacksonville, Florida. We see a husband and wife receiving a package in the mail, a mysterious DVD. Uh, They go to play it because they think it's their daughter's photographs because she's away on vacation, but as they go to watch it, they realize that it is uh, actually a recording of their college-aged daughter being tortured to death. Essentially a snuff film without the being snuffed out part of it. And this is all happening while Billy Joel's Only the Good Die Young blares over the recording.
0: I just wanted to add that I loved this couple. Yes. They were amazing. He's wearing like a really like nice cornflower blue T-shirt and they're in their like wood paneled house in Florida. And you can only imagine that it's like probably like a one floor ranch with like everything's tan and beige undertones, and they're just like picking at each other, and she's like making fun of him, and she's like, "Oh, you, the doctor said no coffee. Like, what type of juice no do you butter, want? Yeah, yeah." And and he has he he has maybe I'm ruining this for people, but he has a heart attack and dies.
1: Yeah, and he and he had also just been being like, "Oh, you know, technology. You don't understand. There could be a video or something on it." So yeah, they are extremely distraught watching this as one would be yeah and then we later learn that the father dies from a heart attack from seeing what's on the dvd so we learn that laura their daughter was 20 years old and a sophomore in college and she was the fifth in a series of kidnappings and murders all of the girls being abducted in different ways some from parking lots others while they were out running but she wasn't initially reported missing because her roommate thought she was visiting family and her family thought she was on a trip. Morgan points out that we don't see her murdered on tape. Some of the other girls who had previously been abducted and murdered were tortured for presumably weeks. So it might make sense for them to operate as if Laura is still alive, but we can't assume that she'll be alive for long.
0: Also like what is Clooney doing right now? right? Yeah, I know.
1: I was like, where's Clooney? How's Clooney doing? Yeah, because Clooney at home like, where's daddy?
0: Yeah, (laughs) which is how I feel right now waiting for my husband to return from work. Oh my
1: god. So the BAU talks about how this is likely a sadistic killer and the thrill of the kill isn't enough to satisfy his needs. He needs to spread panic, which is why the tapes are being released. Reed chimes in talking about how sadistic killers usually kill strangers as it's easier for them to torture and kill somebody they don't already know, but Gideon is certain that there have to be two killers involved, um, especially given how performative the whole thing is. The music wasn't added as like a soundtrack. It was actually part of the whole thing. It was playing while she was actually being tortured. And ima- how horrific! Like, oh my god. Yeah, Billy, Billy Joel. Like, there's some Billy Joel songs that are like my
0: fucking jam. Like, what's that one where it's like, um, it was stuck in my head for like three weeks. Where it was like, uh, who needs a house down in Hackensack? Oh yeah, yeah. My yeah. life. I yeah. love that song. Yeah. I, that's my shit. But like some other songs, if I was being tortured and murdered to them, it would just make the situation so much worse. Imagine, like, for the longest time blaring as you're being assaulted. If there was like one song that was like, what's our maybe let me rephrase it. What's the one song if you were being murdered and tortured that would make the situation so much worse?
1: I mean, only the good Da Young is definitely up there. But also, like for the longest listeners, tell us what song it would be for you.
0: I think anything by Mika.
1: <laughs> oh my! God.
0: Like love today, any way you want to, any way you got to. <laughs> love, love me. But again, that's like a throw to throwback to Reservoir
1: Dogs with the you know oh stuck in the middle God. and the happy music. Anyways. <laughs> This is slightly, like, a, a non-sequitur tangent, but have you seen uh, the Hulu, like, horror film Spree? Oh, I have not. It has Joe Keery from Stranger Things in it, like, the actor who plays Steve. Um... And Diggs and I watched it like maybe like a month ago, and it's like the premise is that he is this spray driver, like Uber Lyft, and he just you know he live streams while he drives, and he just wants to get famous, like he wants to go viral, so he decides to kill his passengers when they're in his car and live stream the whole thing. Um, and there's this just like absolute, it's like it's a garbage movie, but it's like so good at the same time. And there's this like. Absolutely outrageous montage while he's like running over one of his passengers because this this passenger especially was like very really, like misogynistic and like rude to like one of his other drivers so he's like a killer but he's like a woke killer but like when he's murdering and like running this guy over the gummy bear song is playing like the do you remember that from like YouTube like oh no. I'm a gummy bear. Like, that's, oh my goodness, I am not know how to send it to you. It was, like, one of those, like, early YouTube day, like, videos that you would, like, watch at your friend's house. Oh my god. Oh shit. Okay. So okay! Back, back to the episode, because we took, like, a 15-minute... <laughs> Non-sequitur. Yeah. Um, so anyways, uh... So like I said before, Gideon is certain that there are two killers involved because of how performative performative it is, and also because at one moment during the recording, it's clear that someone moves the camera, like that even though it was on a tripod, it got shifted. Um, and so they also talk about how because it is a team of killers, it's quite common for killers to record their... Um, Kills or tortures or take tokens from their crimes because that way they can very easily like revisit it for their own sick pleasure later.
0: Like, um, like the other team, team of killers that we've seen so far, the first episode, Vogel and that other guy, whatever the fuck his name was, where they were live streaming, remember?
1: Yes, ah, yeah. yeah. And also, like for me, of course, I'm always going to circle it back to the Moore's murders, but like they would take photos of them standing on the graves of their victims, but no one would know that it was actually a grave because they buried everyone. And, you know, it just looks like they're hanging with their dog on the moor. Also, when we do cover, I think there's one in my head that
0: is like Moore's murder y esque. And I'm going to just let you go ham and go as long as you want to go
1: for that deep dive. I do have like an out of print book about the Moore's murders that I'm going to be referencing because Diggs bought me that for Valentine's Day. That's true love. That's uh-huh. true fucking love. We love you, Diggs. Even <laughs> if you have less blood. Oh my God. <laughs> so um, similar to common themes in couple murders or team murders, one of them is usually functioning as the master and the other one is the servant and we'll get into that a little later. So on the private plane, the team further talks about the psychology of the team. I believe it's fillet et deux um, which is what Reed you know pulls out of nowhere, which is a rare psychological phenomenon when two people share the same psychotic delusion. Um, That's the direct translation of foulet et Deux. Um, um, The more psychological or coll- uh, colloquial version would be the, the bond between two people who bring out the worst in each other. And now we have a little bit about a psychotic team. Mac, do you want to oh take God. this
0: over? I'm so nervous. Okay, hopefully I don't cock this up. Um, So, a psychotic team usually has a dominant and a submissive. The dominant of the two will usually insist on taking the life. In this case, the DVDs function as a shared souvenir, but also as a way for the dominant to keep control over the submissive, to keep them motivated, loyal, and aroused. And the videos also serve as built-in blackmail.
1: Yeah, so like if the if the submissive were were to like, you know, squeal about it, they'd be like, well, you know, we're both involved in this. Here's literal proof. Don't be squealing. Yeah. Um also, I don't know how I feel about how often dominant and submissive get said in this episode.
0: But does it make you a
1: little uncomfortable? No, no, not at all. But does I'm it hit like- a little too close to home? <laughs> um so they find laura clemson who was as i mentioned before the girl a daughter of the parents we saw in the opening of the episode so they find her body under a bridge um she'd only been missing for a little over a week which indicates that the torture time is getting shorter and shorter so the killers are escalating um so the team decides to split up to cover more ground more quickly and efficiently. So Hotch and Elle go to visit Laura's mother, who is, like, clearly going through it because she just lost her husband and her daughter. Um, And Laura's mother asks if she can have a ring that Laura was wearing back because her husband gave it to their daughter as a gift. Hodge asks about Laura's personality, which their mother isn't, like, super thrilled to talk about, but, like, she also understands that it's important to help figure out why Laura may have been targeted, but of course, you know, she sounded like an absolute angel, Um, and her mother is really upset and saying things like, you know, this wasn't supposed to happen, like, this just wasn't supposed to happen. So I've got two notes on this. One, uh,
0: Hotch, is it Hotch or is it Gideon? Oh, yeah, it's Hotch. So Hotch asks Laura's mother if she was the type of person to give directions to someone who asked her for directions. Mm -hmm. My question is this Who's the type of person to not give directions when someone asks you for directions?
1: Right. Like, unless the person approaching you asking for directions is like, super super sus. I don't think people would be like I don't give directions to anyone.
0: Yeah, of any question to ask, I just feel like that's bringing nothing to the table. I've given directions hundreds of times. Um and also she does mention that at the very least Laura has an older brother. Where are the other children? Why aren't they supporting their mother during like they've all lost like, a father and a sister. This is super traumatic. She's by herself in her wood-paneled home. Please, go help her. She needs you.
1: I do think that this actress, though, did a really good job in this Oh, yeah,
0: absolutely.
1: So we cut to Gideon and Morgan, who are at the crime scene where the body has been found, and the body's been, like, kind of placed sort of, like, under a bridge, and she's, like, wrapped in like saran wrap they also have posed these corpses in very like intentionally humiliating ways um and they have like the she has like deep lacerations on her neck suggesting that there was like a ligature that strangled her as opposed to like hands uh, they also realize that the ring is missing, and it's possible that the killer may have kept it to give it as a gift or keep it as a souvenir. Um, they are also with like the head of the like Jacksonville police officer who is like you know heading this crime, um, and he's a horrible actor. <laughs> <laughs> So we cut back to the Jacksonville Police Department and Goobs is um, talking about how in addition to the five known victims, there were two others that seemed to like fit the same bill, um, but they had different DNA on them than the other victims. So Goobs is hypothesizing that perhaps the dominant let the submissive perpetrate the first two victims, um, that way he can like lure the submissive in. And JJ also notices that the package sent to the Clemson family was only addressed to uh, Laura's mother, much like the package uh, in one of the earlier cases. Um, And they say that the package is being sent to the mothers could potentially be some sort of message, but then they never, ever address this ever again. Next, we cut to another scene and we see a really pretty girl with blonde hair and wearing like a pink tank top uh, jogging and someone in a car pulls up and asks for directions. But when she turns away after giving him directions, she pauses for a second to put her earphones back in and they open the door and snatch her. So they talk about how the unsubs have now escalated from using their hands to strangle these victims to using a ligature because it's more efficient. But there are still some unanswered questions, like, why leave the bodies in fairly planned sight while going to the effort of like hiding the victims' cars for the victims who were like, you know, kidnapped? Not when jogging, I guess. Um, But despite having these unanswered questions, they feel ready to offer a profile. So this is the profile, but they don't give a title for what kind of profile this is.
0: Yeah, maybe like a... um, Team? Yeah, team or something like that. I don't know. (laughs) The dominant one is the mastermind. Not to say that the submissive is innocent or pure, Um, if the criminal desire wasn't present, the partnership would not exist. The offenders share a common delusion and the bond between the two of them justifies their actions. The two have sick minds that quote unquote complete each other. Mm -hmm. And this is when Goob says a perfect storm. (laughs) (laughs) There she is, girl. That's the title. (laughs) Hey, girl. In cases like this, the offenders may have met in
1: childhood, or they might be family. Mm -hmm. This is when they pull out examples like the Columbine um, shooting or uh, the DC sniper, which, again, I was around here when that happened. (laughs) So the dominant makes
0: the submissive feel powerful. They have a deep loyalty to each other, and the submissive is usually the easier one to crack.
1: Again, this profile briefing is kind of broken up when J.J. rushes in and alerts them that the mother of the new victim, the one we saw being snatched when jogging, is doing a, like, press release briefing, not briefing, Uh, you know, talking about the fact that her daughter's been abducted. <laughs> um so, they finally tracked down the pieces of the various cars, um, and they all are at the same single used car dealership in Georgia. So, now this is expanding past just state lines. We're breaking into Georgia, no longer just florida and they were all sold to one guy named joey his background is absolutely littered with petty crimes and this suggests that he may be the lesser aka the submissive of the two killers so we cut to joey's house and uh morgan and gideon and bad actor police officer florida are there Um, And Joey's crippled father, who's in a wheelchair, answers, and Joey, you know, eventually rolls in after a moment, but he's carrying a gun and refusing to put it down, so naturally, bad actor Florida cop fatally shoots him. We find out that Joey, because, you know, even though his father just witnessed his son be murdered by police, uh, they have to question him immediately about Joey, So we find out that Joey works at a garage with a bunch of, like, ex-cons and former inmates. And Morgan talks about how a dominant would not have gone down in the way that Joey did, so Joey must have been the submissive. They look into who Joey's former cellmate could have been, and Garcia tracks him down and sees that his name was Tony Canardo? So they roll up to Tony's place and his cute little wife shows up and talks about how he's not home um, and that she knew Joey and she says that her husband is trying to get clean despite the fact that there are like tons of beer bottles all over the kitchen and that he's been getting better and she also says that when Tony and Joey would get together she's quote afraid of what could happen. Um, they say that they're going to talk to Joey and so she should leave so she's like okay I guess I'll call my friend Kim. Shout out Kim. Shout out Kim. Can you imagine
0: getting that call? <laughs> hey girl, uh, I need to come crash at your place for a little bit. Sure girl, why? Uh because like they the FBI is at my house and they think my husband murdered all these girls that are blonde like me. <sighs>
1: Gideon and bad actor Florida go back to the police station, and not uh, not long after, Tony's wife shows up, and now she's got this, like, really 2000s little blue shirt on, and she has a black eye. And she says that when Tony got back, he got angry, and he got angry because I wrote that twice in my notes for some reason, and he punched her. And Goobs notices that the ring she is wearing looks a lot like Laura's, the one that Laura's mom wanted back. So she is all like, oh my god, and takes it off. And when it hits the table, you can hear how cheap that ring was. Oh, but let's not judge them. (laughs) I'm judging the props department. (laughs) Okay. Okay. The BAU apprehends him and they bring him in for questioning. And Hotch goes in to question him, but before doing so, he talks about how because he is allegedly the dominant, this could be tricky because you have to like praise them and gas them up to make them feel good and proud that they'll maybe like want to spill some of their secrets for more praise to be like, wow, you've done such an impressive job. So that's what Hotch does. He goes in and is like, wow, this was like... Man, this was just so, like, wow. Um, But this doesn't go well. And Tony already mentions, lawyer like, lawyering up. And Gideon is like, well, you know, he's been to prison before, so he knows he needs to keep his mouth shut. Uh, They notice that Tony keeps looking at two photographs of the victims that are up in the room. Um, and then Hotch and Gideon think maybe it would be a good idea to put his wife in there with him and she should question him because that'll kind of humanize him and maybe get him to talk.
0: Oh, also the two pictures that he's looking at are the ones with the different DNA specifically.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for clarifying that because I didn't, (laughs) um, Gideon goes and asks her, the wife uh, Amber, if she would be willing to talk to him. He's like, "Come on, like we need to find Tiffany. We need to make sure she's alive." And she eventually agrees. So Wifey goes in there with him, and they be- and begins questioning him. And they have some really intense eye contact, and both are very sweaty, and it's just overall very Florida. And so she goes in and asks where Joey took the girl, and he still resists answering. He eventually says she's in a storage unit and Joey's dad is the only one who has the key. And Goobs is like, yo, doesn't Joey's dad have, like, MS? Isn't he, like, in a wheelchair? And so Elle and JJ are now talking about how Tony's mother was apparently a drug addict and he bounced around as a kid going from social services back to his mom. And his mom became a prostitute to make ends meet. And then Elle asks the question, how did he get the confidence to pull off something like that? How is he supposed to be the dominant one in the partnership? Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) So they roll up to the storage unit and it's just full of junk. There's like nothing in there. And Morgan's like, yeah, this is, this does not look at all like where they filmed anything. And then, the, uh, and then Gideon is realizing, why does Amber not look scared of Tony on this tape? Amber is the one who is initiating eye contact, and she's also extremely calm around the photos of the victims. Those don't seem to be, like, freaking her out at all. And Goobs is like, yeah, when she asks him a question, she's not questioning him. She's like, demanding commanding him um so then garcia at the same time is who's been going through the audio of the recording of laura clemson finds amber's voice on the recording so so amber is the dominant one in the partnership what a woman whoa guess what she's also fled the scene one could say she's on the lamb. <gasps> a woman on the lamb who's the
0: dominant
1: in a partnership. Yep. What criminal mindset feminism. <laughs> so Gideon goes back to crack Tony, and Tony goes on about how nothing would come between them. And like, not to be weird about it but the minute we find out he's not the dominant one of them he suddenly just has a very pathetic air around him
0: <laughs> like tell me i'm wrong you're you're not wrong also i was desperately trying to find this man attractive and i just could not no no i could not
1: but she's no. kind of hot yeah no she's cute i she looked better when she was wearing the baseball tee than that like really really like lily pulitzer looking like blouse
0: yeah also she answered the door in like the baseball tee and underwear which is a move
1: yeah so amber was allegedly abused by her father and brother when she was a child as garcia finds out and her mother likely knew about this but didn't do anything about it Um, Apparently, her father and brother would bring her out to the woods, and that's where she would be abused. Um, And that's interesting because it's very similar to how the bodies of the girls were often found in the woods.
0: Also, they make a whole big deal about Reed saying, so the abused becomes the abuser, and he has a statistic that it's usually one in eight of people who one in eight people who are abused could potentially become an abuser. And in my head, I'm like, huh, then why is it every other goddamn episode of this show where the abused has become the abuser? Like for example, next episode, like
1: for example, last episode, right? Right. So, you know, finally, Tony says, cabin and the bau somehow is able to magically locate it um inside is amber and tiffany and amber's like trying to beat her up and she's doing some really bad acting as they apprehend her because she suddenly decides her like vocal choice as an actor is so, like oh that little bitch and it's like you never were talking like that before oh my god why did you decide to go feral like it's bad acting. Um, And then they also, uh, you know, end of episode, they're on the plane on the way home, spending our taxpayer money. Um, And at that point, uh, I forget if it's Hotch or JJ, but they talk about how they found some remains of another person under the cabin, and it's likely to have been Amber's former partner in crime, and that would make sense as to why there was different DNA on the first two victims. And that is how Sue sees it. Did I do good? You did so good, baby. Oh, thank you.
0: You always do good.
1: Aw, oh, thank you.
0: I did my deep dive on Australia's David John Burney and Catherine Margaret Burney, who were Trash. Trash. Were an Australian couple from Perth, Western Australia, uh, who murdered four women at their home in 1986 and attempted to murder a fifth. These crimes were referred to in the press as the Morehouse murders, not to be confused with the Moores
1: murders. Despite there being like an absurd amount of similarities between the two.
0: Yes. Um, These crimes were referred to in the press as the Morehouse murder murders because of the Bernie's home address. Um, As an adult, David Bernie was a sex and pornography addict. Aren't we all? But I also saw that he was called a paraphallic. And I didn't know that term. And it's basically any sort of sexual desire or arouser that is not like normal. So like, like, for example, they could be sexually attracted to like inanimate objects or corpses or children. So it's really like almost all of the cases that we cover, the unsub is paraphallic. So at the age of 12, uh, Catherine met David Burney, and by the age of 14, she was dating him. Her father begged Catherine to leave David um, because she kept getting in trouble with the local police, and she actually ended up going to jail, and they broke apart. They both separately got married and had children, but eventually got back together, even though they were never formally married. So she abandoned, like, seven children to be with him. Some of them were, like, less than a year old. Abby just listened to a morbid episode about this.
1: Yeah, I I, I know way more about them right now than I should, so I'm going to stop interrupting, but...
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, we love interruptions. Um but anyways, the Bur- over a period of five weeks, the Bernies abducted five women between the ages of 15 and 31, um, and the final victim escaped and led the police to the Bernie house, which ended their crime spree. So the names of the victims are Mary Nielsen, who was a 22-year-old psychology student who was working part-time at a deli. Susanna Candy, who was a 16-year-old outstanding honor roll student from Nedlands, Australia. Noelle Patterson, who was a 31-year-old manager at a golf club. And Denise Brown, who was 21 years old, and I could not find a single thing about her on the internet. Denise, I, I don't know why we don't know anything about you, so I apologize. But the final victim was Kate Moyer, who was 17 years old. After abducting her, David held a knife to her throat and forced her to ring her mother, and Moyer assured her mother that she had had too much to drink and was staying at a friend's house, hoping her mother would catch on to the ruse and call the friend, knowing that her daughter was not a drinker. Um, which is super fucking smart.
1: Oh, this girl is so smart.
0: Yeah. Um. So she ended up escaping the next day after David went to work. Catherine went to the door to carry out a drug deal and she forgot to chain Kate to the bed. So Kate escaped by climbing through a closed window by breaking its lock. And she hit her head on the cron- concrete when falling out And then she still got up and she knocked on various neighbors' doors. She jumped a gate and was attacked by David's dog. And she finally managed to flee and ran into a vacuum cleaner shop on the 10th of November in 1986. And if she had not gotten away and been so smart and courageous, they probably would have kept going and killed a lot more girls.
1: And the other really messed up part of this is that when she told the police, they didn't believe her. Yes. It was it was a woman who was brand new on the police force. This was like her first case who was like, what if she's telling the truth, guys? And they were like, whatever. So then this one woman was like, okay, let's figure this out. Let's get to the bottom of this. Do you want You want to rate this? Oh my God, we have to rate it. <laughs> yes. Criminal slash serial killer. I know it's
0: lame to be like, a woman is the murderer, but I was like, teehee, like I liked it.
1: Okay, I was actually going to say the same thing because I didn't want to be like, hmm, it was a woman killer, lady killer. But I was thinking about it, we haven't really had many, like, violent criminals as the unsub in any of the episodes so far. Um, It's mostly been white men. Um, Well, we had compulsion,
0: but she was lighting fires and she like she wasn't like, like, I think the thing that the thought is that like most women killers will like try to kill from afar or poison or like not actually like interact with the person they're killing. And this bitch is like. Up Attack. in their business. She's attacking whatever her name is. What's that girl's Tiffany. name? Tiffany. Oh my god. She's hitting Tiffany. She's throwing her around. I was like, oh my god. She's little. She's like, a,
1: she's yeah. short. Oh my god. 20, 19, 18? I am fine with a 20. Okay, let's give it a 20. All right. Character development slash character arcs. Uh, 10? Yeah. 10 we're good with 10 I'm good with 10 All right forensics and context The tapes were pretty intense I just I don't know if I felt that the, the, there was anything
0: more added to the profile than with like the first team yeah. yeah Um but I did really like this episode and I didn't feel like it dragged and I like you didn't feel like I was wanting more I just don't know that I learned anything
1: more Right 10 yeah all right script writing i thought this was good me too i i don't i don't have many notes the only part that bugged me was when gideon went to ask um amber to like if she'd be like cool with like uh you know questioning her husband and i can't put my finger on what it was he said but there was something that i i didn't like how he i i feel like he was like you have to do this he wasn't doing the like are you comfortable doing this um and that kind of irked me a little bit but maybe that's me just being a critic i i just expected Gideon to be more compassionate about it than he was maybe yeah 17
0: yeah, 17. I'm good with that. Also, like, Hotch being, like, to uh, what's-her-face's mother, like, was your daughter the kind of person that would ask, give someone directions? Like, fuck off. All right, background characters. Um, I don't really know who the background characters would be in this one.
1: Um, I I, I really did not like Bad actor Florida cop But I did think Amber was cool Um, Yeah And I feel bad for dad with MS Yeah And I loved um, Laura's parents in the opening Oh yeah we did love Laura's parents 17? Yeah Alright and that gives us a grand total Of 74
0: Follow us at Unsubs Podcast on all of the social media. You can email us um, unsubspodcast at gmail.com. Follow me, Mac, uh, at your new apartment.tumblr.com which is my adulting blog, and my podcast, your new apartment podcast, which is available on all of your favorite streaming services.
1: Yes, and you can listen to my podcast uh, between stage and screen on all of your favorite streaming services, as well as the Instagram page for that, which is between stage and screen podcast. Also, we have merch. Yes, check out our merch. We've got a spicy vanilla hot T-shirt. Um. <laughs> yeah, we've got we've got some we've got some nice merch, which is uh, little references to some of the comments we've made throughout the different episodes but then we also have some more generalized on subs podcast merch which i personally think looks really cool i might be biased because i designed some of it but uh i think it's really cool and you can get t-shirts or mugs or bags or totes journals pillows pretty much anything and it all supports the podcast
0: Um, so definitely do that and drop us a 5 star rating on Apple
1: Podcasts yes please do it we'd really appreciate it